That's the sound of a digital cutter at Albion Clothing Factory in Christchurch. You can see what it's doing there, and it's cutting this piece here. Oh, I see. So it's highlight. We're looking at the screen, and it's highlighting the piece of fabric that it's actually cutting out from the pattern. It's the beginnings of a jacket for the New Zealand Defence Force, all made here. Pretty good technology. Yeah. But the sounds of a clothing factory are becoming more and more rare, and so are the manufacturing skills. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, I'm on the factory floor to see how it takes more than a dozen workers to put this jacket together, and how this business grapples with growth. And this is how it's done worldwide, so what you see here is exactly what you see offshore. But first, I catch Ben Keeps out of factory hours before he heads overseas on a work trip. He's the co-founder and director of Cactus Outdoor, which owns Albion. We have a photo somewhere of, well, Prince Charles as he was then, King Charles now, wearing um, a uniform we made for him. Oh, really? In the Army <laughs> uniform. Is that right? OK, Ben, what are we looking at here? This is Albion clothing, and it's been going for... Uh, 45 odd years and it is now sadly actually the largest contract manufacturer of clothing in New Zealand. Sadly I say because in years gone past factories would have had thousands and thousands of staff and, and this is this is only a hundred but um, this is what the largest in New Zealand looks like nowadays. So we being Cactus Outdoor we, we acquired this about three or four years ago and so um, all of the, the Cactus stuff is made here but as well as that we do a lot of contracts so we make a bunch of stuff for the army, the navy, the police, similar sort of government agencies. So the chap that started it, who passed away a few years ago, he always said that Anzac Day was the proudest day of his year because he'd go out to a dawn parade and literally every single service person out parading was wearing a uniform that came through this factory, which is which is pretty cool. I'm actually a, um, a volunteer firefighter, have been for almost 25 years, and my uniform, which I was given when I first joined, was made in this factory. So there's a lot of legacy there. It specialises in what, hard-wearing clothing? Yeah, so, um, I mean, the cactus thing is, is, is hard-wearing, so we make the, the, the staunchest uh, you know, workwear on earth. Um, and, and Albion's thing is, is full service, so full tailoring, handmade blazers, um, really highly skilled. That's the thing that's really important. Um, in this day and age, we hear all the time about New Zealand's low productivity and that we need to be a technology leader and we need to do this, that and the other. And I think that all of that is true, but what every time I walk through the factory, I can't help but be proud but also saddened at the incredible skills that our people have, but how they're not valued by, by the world at large. And that's really sad. What, what do you mean they're not valued? A couple of things. Young people, you know, no one wants to get into manufacturing, so it's very hard to, f- to find people because it's not sexy. But even those who should understand better, our, our politicians, our, our, you know, be they central or local government, our business leaders, they'd come into a place like the, this and, and because it's not a zero or a, or a vend or, or a tech uh, company, it's, it's not sexy. It's kind of dismissed. I mean, I think about the... Um, you know, the various, various business leader trips that happen when, when Jacinda takes uh, you know, various folks around the place or when politicians come and, come and visit uh, businesses and, and we never get a look in and it's not an ego or a pride thing but um, it's short-sighted in my view because if COVID showed us anything it's that we need to build some resilience and we build resilience by actually making stuff, I think.
Come on down. Just watch the steps. Thank you. I'm heading down to the factory floor with General Manager Mac Jung to see how that army jacket goes from the bolt of fabric on one side through the rows of machines to the other side where buttons are sewn onto the finished garment. And so I'll give you a bit of a bit of a tour around sort of yeah. starting point to the finishing point. Yeah, fantastic. So um, myself and Kelly have just come back from offshore. Yeah. So we've seen a whole heap of factories, but this one here is pretty much the biggest one that's left in the country of cut measured trim and making the whole garment. Clothing factories. Clothing factories, yeah. Which is pretty exciting. So it's, say. it's very unique and I suppose in this day and age for New Zealand, which is pretty cool. So we'll head down this way. Okay. Um, so in the office, sort of just back over here, we, we do what's called markers, mm. and then it comes out to this machine, which is our laying up machine. Right. How, oh, so it puts the bolt of cloth. Fabric goes up here, sits on here. Yeah. This here will flick up. Yeah. And then it feeds its way through, and this machine will go backwards and forwards. Uh huh. So the machine will come back, come down, and then cut off to however long it needs to be yeah. and how many lays high it needs to be. You're able to set that on the, on the it's machine It's somewhat there. automatic, okay. but it's still manual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all of these machines are, even the newest ones, but the old girl does real good, real good. <laughs> so, so that fabric there is for um, MTP shirts, field shirts for uh, army. They're like camouflage yeah, yeah, yeah. fabric. Yeah, yeah, so we do all that for um, NZDF. Yeah, and we're walking past all these bolts of cloth yeah, so we've got like all this blue here, this is all for police. Yeah. So police knits, and then we go into some of our wet weather stuff. Um, then we've got some of the army, navy fabrics underneath here. These fabrics come from all over the world? You yeah, they do. You have to import them. Yeah, every single bit of fabric has to be imported into mm. the country. There's no, there's no mill that can weave any of this stuff. So even the likes of uh, New Zealand Merino will get exported and then finished in Australia and then brought back to New Zealand. The industry's been decimated. So, mm. you know, for the last 20 years, as the tariffs came off um, importing garments, it's just so much cheaper to manufacture offshore. You so know, when so. you say it gets exported and finished in Australia, what does that actually mean? So finished, it gets woven. Oh, in, it gets into turned the, into cloth. Into the actual fabric, yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. the wool gets, yeah, yeah. the raw wool gets turned into yeah. cloth in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were, you know, when we were offshore um, last week, looking, looking at some um, options... Um, there was one factory that asked us, you know, how much we pay our machinists, and we told him how much we pay, and then he's like, he's, he was dumbfounded, like couldn't believe how much we pay, and he goes, I can have six and a half team members to your one. Like that's that's why it's so much cheaper to manufacture offshore. It's, Where it's, were you? Uh, we were in Vietnam and okay. Bangkok. Interesting. And beautiful factories. We saw some some wonderful. Did you? Like, state of the this art. This fascinating. Oh, it was. So it was were you really there cool. at the same time as the prime minister? We were. We yeah. were actually going, um, flying to North Vietnam from Saigon, mm. and we taxied straight past the NZDF plane. So ah. she was there when we were there. Wait, was, so was that just coincidence? Yeah, coincidence. Oh. We were in the country at the same time. Yeah, we oh. weren't with her. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. And why why were you over in Vietnam? Uh, we were looking at options. Okay, for, for, what, for getting the for clothes? For garments, yeah, yeah. So oh. within this factory here, we are absolutely chocker. Yeah. So for us, um, we've got the police, we've got NZDF, we've got a lot of other retailers as well, and we just can't get enough capacity out of this factory. And we've even tried to go for a second shift and continually recruiting. We just can't find people. So we're in a we're in a rock and a hard place where we absolutely vehemently want New Zealand manufacturing and we want to grow this the size of this factory, but to find the people to do it is becoming increasingly harder. 
So we're looking for more capacity offshore for some of our garments. So what a shame. That is a shame. It really mm. is. It really is. But if you want to grow business, you've got to look at other opportunities and other options. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then you come down to this end, so you lay up at that end. Yeah. And then it comes onto this belt, so this belt drives it straight into the new machine. So we're at the end of a very, just a very, very long table. Yeah, it's probably, um, probably about 16 metres long. So we can have multiple jobs on here at once. So this machine, we put this in um, earlier this year, mm. and we actually had the old one broken down for about a month last year, and we had five people hand-cutting, and we still couldn't keep up with what the machine used to do. So it just sort of shows that some of that technology really does work. So what do you call this? Is it a cutter? Yeah, it's called a cutter, digital cutter. The fabric's got to be laid out by hand down yeah. there through the, yeah. the layout machine, yeah. and then it comes through here, and this will automatically cut it to the pieces. There's yeah. no wastage, or very yeah. little wastage. Yeah. So you probably get to see it crank up here. Oh, so right. See how it goes. Yeah. You can see what it's doing there, and it's cutting this piece here. So then it comes around this end, and they'll, they'll generally put these labels on, so we know exactly what piece it is for, mm-hmm. and what. So that's the size of the garment. So a woman size twelve. Factory like this. You know, when I first started here, because I've been here a year and a half, I'd worked for Kathmandu for three and a half years prior. Yeah. And I walked in here and I was actually kind of taken aback a bit. Were you? This is actually how you manufacture garments. Like, I think when we we wear them ourselves, we don't recognise the effort and the work that goes in. No. The New Zealand made it, it's expensive to make in New Zealand because of this, Mm. because we're paying Kiwis Kiwi wages. I know. This industry's been absolutely destroyed. Yeah, there's a lot of skill here. Oh, huge amounts. These guys are so, so talented. Are they? It's just amazing. So, so it comes Um, up the cutter. Yeah. Um, We put it all into bundles here. Yeah. And then we'll come across to here to the fusing machines. Okay. So, like the likes of in your collar, just to give it a bit more rigidity. So, then down here we've got what we call the shirt line. They're doing the MTPs, they do a lot of police on there as well, and cactus. And then down here we've got the jacket line, so we do all jackets, we'll do wet weather jackets, we'll do uh, NZDF um, dress jackets, we'll do police dress jackets, and then we've got the trouser line, which is the same sort of thing. We're pretty skilled at at the majority of the stuff that we do, whereas a lot of other smaller places can't even do some of the stuff that we do. And it's down to that talent of the team members. It's much quieter than I thought it would be. Yeah. Well, this roof, so that it, it quells the noise, so it doesn't bounce around often and so forth. And some of our machines are really old, but they're crackingly good machines. Some are brand new, some are sort of middle of the road. So you get that real mixture on them, but it's mm. not... Um, you know, if there's some other machines... So I've been to some factories in Australia that have what's called big pocketing machines, and they're sort of, you know, this wide, and they suck up heaps of... Um, ear as well so they sound really noisy but in reality it's it's one machine making the noise of maybe 50 machines right. so yeah right. you think, and, and I think from a um, from a people perspective the team culture that it's not too noisy Hi is, can I ask you what you're doing here and the bar tacking oh I see you're measuring how it's going to be stitched in yes Wow, that's yeah. impressive. Cool, eh? <laughs> sort of Christmas decorations up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We've, we've, they've actually, some of those have been up for a couple of months because some of the nationalities that we've got, you can see all the flags that we've got, yeah. Um, yeah. celebrate for a couple of months. 
What's that well, bell? Be some of the team to come back from lunch. Oh, I see. Can I ask you what you're doing there? It's edge basing. Okay. Cool. But for army uniforms. Yeah. You have to be really accurate, right? Mm. Sorry. You have to unpick very often. <laughs> I have to press and then take it off. Oh, okay. That yeah. Do the workers come to the same stations or do they move around? A lot of them move around. Some like to go at exactly the same place and do the same things. Yeah. But there's also a lot that like doing a whole multitude yeah. of different things. So they, they get quite a bit of change during their days rather, rather than just coming in and sitting down doing the same old, same yeah, old thing. Yeah. And with the quantities that we have, so, you know, again, in New Zealand, you might get a, a run of a thousand. Yeah, we've got the odd thing that's into the thousands. But most will be like 100, 200, 300 units of any given thing. Mm -hmm. So they're getting a lot of variety as well through different garments. Whereas going offshore, if you're doing it offshore, they might have orders of 120,000 of this jacket. So it's the same repetition. The cool thing is that these guys are are getting upskilled in a whole heap of different garments, as well as sometimes getting that that opportunity to check out a little bit and do the same thing, which is that sort of spice for the job. Is it an actual uh, trade? There's no courses Mm. for machinists. So for this industry, there's no polytech course, there's no university course to train people into being a machinist. There's nothing in the country. So we've effectively, if we want a new machinist that has no experience, we've got to do all of the training. Whereas back in the day, there'd be a, you know, for say the cutters, there'd be a 5,000 hour um, apprenticeship that you had to do. Yeah. So, but now there's not even that. So there's no cutters being trained in the country. Hence the need for electronic cutters because it'll come one day when all of the existing cutters get to a certain age, then they all retire, and there's no one to backfill. So that's, that's another risk for the, for the I suppose the designers around the country. If those yeah. cutters end up retiring and there isn't a backfill, it's really strange. quite difficult. In the makeup of your team here, I mean, I know that you've got many, many nationalities. Yep. A majority are women, a range of ages. We've got some that are early 20s right through to their 70s. And with that, you get a whole bundle of experience. Yeah. Right? The, old, the older people that we've got here have so much industry experience to share with others, which is phenomenal. And I think that with the quantity of machinists that we've got here allows us that training piece that our good good experienced team members can train the new ones, which is, which is again, in this industry becoming quite unique. What's left it? Is it the hems on the... They'll go off to um, Lockheed Martin, who store all of the stock for New Zealand Police, uh, and then they'll go to the likes of the um, new recruits in Wellington when they finish their courses, and they'll get them hemmed properly by a tailor in Wellington. So they oh, get exactly, exactly the right length for ah. each individual. Yeah. Why do they go to Lockheed Martin? Because Lockheed Martin have the contract to supply New Zealand Police. So we're a subcontractor to Lockheed Martin. These are obviously cactus pants. Do you feel how hard yeah. that is? Yeah. Is that canvas? Yeah. Yeah, wow. so a lot of our products are canvas. Yeah. So it's got that real longevity, and that's, and that's part of our sustainability story. You know, these will last you 10 years, mm. but it's really hard on the ladies' fingers trying to oh, mani- manipulate this kind of fabric. And how many garments would you turn out, you know, a day? It depends on what we're doing. Mm. You know, like, like these ones here, we can we can tune them out pretty reasonably fast. These are the police trousers. Police trousers. Then we might have um, shirts could be jackets, we could be doing um, made-to-measure jackets. So a lot of the um, top echelon and police will get all made-to-measure with all of their lapel stuff. Hi. 
Oh, you're doing the hand sewing? Yeah. But are you sewing on the buttons? You'd have to be very precise, wouldn't you? Like, especially with what you're doing there. Is that, is that a dome? No. Yeah. So it's very precise sewing. This takes you around like this, the yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Back with Ben Keeps at the top of the stairs, overlooking the factory and the line of flags representing the many nationalities of workers. There's a personal story here too. We're very proud that we um, give new New Zealanders their, their first go in New Zealand. So we have, at last count, I think we had 35 nationalities represented here. Um, my parents were refugees to New Zealand. My mother worked in a clothing factory uh, when she when they first came. Um, so I feel a personal uh, obligation, but it's actually a really cool thing to do to, to support uh, to support immigrants and, and and many refugees as well. What's been your biggest challenge in the last say three years? Yeah, so I mean supply chain, but that's the same for everyone. So that's a case of just managing things. Talent is really really hard. We. Um, we tried uh, a couple of years ago to put on a, a second shift, so you know we could run this factory 18 hours. Well, we could run it 24 hours a day, but we were keen to to run a second shift, and, mm. and we just didn't get the uptake from from potential staff. So that really limits our ability to, to scale here, and it means that we do need to to follow sort of a hybrid manufacturing approach where we have other factories around New Zealand and and overseas that will make for us. What but ideally would you like to make it all here? Oh, I mean, so when we bought this business three or four years ago, I stated then that um, you know, my personal ambition was to rebuild the, the Christchurch apparel sector. Not, not that we would own it, but there would be lots of different businesses or you know, an ecosystem, essentially. Yeah. Um, that is still the vision. I would love someone to start up a fabric mill so that, so that New Zealand wool and hemp that's grown here could actually be made into, into fabric here. Um, but that requires someone to, to invest and, and to take a risk, and thus far it hasn't happened. I would love um, you know, one of our industrial clients, the likes of, of, of Army or police or whomever, to say, look, we really want to embrace this and we want to support this and, and we want to specify a fabric that's, that's made here. Um, and you know, maybe one day it'll happen, who knows. But so far they haven't taken you up? So far not. And, and I understand, you know, if, you're, if you work in procurement for a government agency, your, your primary driver is, is price. Yes, you know, the, the government does have some things that procurement people need to look at in terms of social and environmental impact. But frankly, you know, price is still a, the primary mm. driver. Why do you carry on here when most other people in the clothing industry are getting their stuff made over, overseas? probably foolishness um, <laughs> but uh, you know cactus has been going for 30 years I'm um, I'm in a fortunate position that that I'm the majority shareholder um, and for me success is that my grandchildren are still working in this industry so I have two um, sons both of them work in the business and are incredibly passionate about what we do and feel a real sense of obligation in terms of not not just the family legacy, but the legacy for NZ Inc. So um, I'm, I'm in the lucky position, or we're in the lucky position, that we don't need to think so much about, about pure profit. We can think about a, a, a longer time frame. And I think it's something that um, is really aligned with, funnily enough, a Te Ao Māori perspective on, on business, this idea of intergenerational business and, and actually being additive to society. 
other than uh, rather than extractive. And, mm. and I'd, I'd like to think that, yeah, as I say, in, in, in 30 or 40 years' time, that, that my grandkids are sitting here doing an interview with someone saying that you know, Grandad was right and, and it has been sustainable, however that looks. Does it mean that you make less profit because if all of this was made overseas, it would be much cheaper? I think it depends how you define profit. Mm. And so, um, you know, if you look at a company like Allbirds, which is, you know, at some level is a a huge success story. Um, It grew largely, it had an IPO, its share price has tanked. You know, what is the actual bottom line benefit from that? You know, I I look at profit as being good to people and the planet as well as as producing some cash down at at the other end. And so from that perspective... uh, if you look at it from a triple bottom line perspective, it's it's no less profitable to make in New Zealand. If all you're driven by is making a, a dollar profit, then, then absolutely fundamentally there is no real reason to do it here. As a manufacturer, you're up against it at the moment, aren't you? I, you know, we when I um, emailed you, we came up with jobs, interest rates, environmental pressures, but on top of that, really, the message out there at the moment is to stop spending money. Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, and I'm going to sound like a crazy hippie, but what we need is is a way of reinventing capitalism and making it a, a more conscious. And so our, our, you know, if I think about cactus, you know, we make work pants that will, will last, you know, someone who's doing landscaping or, or, you know, really hard use will last 10, 15, 20 years. We have people that come in with a 20-year-old pair of pants that, from their, from their perspective, have only just been broken in. And so I think if we think that way, then all of a sudden the environmental impacts amortised over such a long period of time are that, are that much lower. Uh, if we think about the, the message about reducing spending, absolutely we should reduce our consumption. But if we buy a pair of pants or a pair of boots that are going to last a generation, then that that doesn't impact on, on inflation the same way. And so I think we need a much more nuanced and sophisticated approach. Uh, uh, otherwise, what's going to happen is, you know, we're all going to respond to the Reserve Bank's calls, and those calls are justified. We're going to respond to them by creating this recession, and there's going to be huge amounts of pain through that, and we're going to have this boom-bust cycle over and over again. I think we need to actually reinvent the economic system so that we don't have this boom-bust cycle. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Powick and produced by Sarah Robson. And Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Ben Keeps and Matt Jung. Kakite. Ka